0: welcome to the generation y podcast my name is will and i'm Jean. and this is a show designed to help young adults thrive in a world that wasn't built for us
1: because young adulting is hard and this quarantine just made it that much more complicated so we're asking the questions that are important to all of us and we're having conversations with people who know the answers
0: so today we're going to spend some time talking with licensed psychologist dr wendy dickinson on how we can stay mentally and emotionally healthy during this time of collective isolation this is the Generation Y podcast. Today's guest, like we said, is licensed psychologist and CEO and founder of Grow Counseling and just to add to your incredible list of accolades, studied under Brené freaking Brown. I mean, Dr. Wendy Dickinson, welcome to the Generation Y podcast. <laughs>
2: Thank you guys. It's so good to be here.
0: Okay. So are you and, and Bren, I'm going to call her first name basis. Are y'all on a first name basis? You and Brené? <laughs>
2: I'd like to say we're total besties, but I'd love I, for you I, to I, say that, that too. Probably is probably taking it a little far, but I did have the opportunity to go, um, take her a training course and it was amazing.
0: That is my dream. That's incredible. How long was the course?
2: It's about five days. It's pretty intense. You work through all the curriculum. And before you go, you're supposed to have read all the books that she's written and kind of digested everything. Wow. It was intensive, but awesome.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Uh, Did you have all the books read before you got there? Or did did you, were you like, oh, no, there were three more?
2: (laughs) There was one that I hadn't totally finished. To be completely honest, only one.
0: But I had
2: read all the rest of them.
0: So we know a little bit of your background. Can you give us just a little bit, uh, maybe go a little bit deeper into your background and your your areas of expertise and all of that?
2: Sure. I would love to do that. Um, I am, as you said, a licensed psychologist, which means I took a meandering path through grad school and spent a very long time in grad school. So I feel like at the end of it, I probably should have been able to do brain surgery, but, um, yeah. you know, here I am, I use my words to do brain surgery. Um, and then when I graduated, I was working in private practice by myself, and just kind of feeling lonely and missing out on a community and a team. Right. And right. so I started hiring some people and didn't really set out to have a huge practice. But that's kind of, we've ended up with quite a large practice in Atlanta. And I'm biased. But I have to say, I think we have the best team that I've ever met. We have some of the most excellent therapists um, that do just incredible work with people. So I'm challenged by them every day, which is amazing to be able to come to work and do what I love doing in a community I love and then be challenged by it, um, at the same time. So we have offices all around Atlanta, um, Alpharetta, Buckhead, Swanee and Peachtree city. Wow. And we always kind of joke like, if you're between the ages of two and ninety-two, we can probably help you. So, right, if you're
1: breathing, (laughs) if you're breathing, we
2: probably got somebody on the team that can help you. I work a lot with my specialties. Kind of morphed over the years that I've started um, or gotten to the place where I see a lot of men, mostly men who are really high-performing CEOs, CFOs, really. in work environments that demand a lot and then you know they get home and a lot is demanded of them and so they just need a place to kind of process and come up for air and not have to be on all the time sure
0: why the why the uh the specialist specialization there uh with men
2: it's an interesting question when i was in grad school the other females in my program kind of declared pretty quickly we only work with women's issues and I didn't know that I was supposed to declare something quickly. So right. <laughs> I I got funneled a lot of the guys that wanted to see a female. And I think a lot of times men want to talk to a female. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not that kind of, we got to keep your guard up. Sort of, I can see that. Right. Like, yeah, like kind of women are women's best friends and maybe women are men's best friends, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just kind of over the years and I I got really interested in what's it like to be a guy in this world, like how how much pressure we put on men and what the expectations are and kind of a fine line to walk. And especially if you're an emotional guy, how do you balance that with being strong? Um, so I just love it. The days when I come in and I see all men, I, I think it's fantastic.
0: That's so cool. And, and I feel wow. like it might've even been a faux pas for, for men for a while. And you know, just the whole idea, and not even just with men, I feel like in just general. in general, the idea of counseling or therapy just until recently, yeah. has been sort of seen in a negative light as mm-hmm. you are going this to, to this, because you're a broken person. Yeah, you know, but I we're
2: totally agree. Yeah, it's, I think the stigma that you're talking about is just really changed probably over the last, I've seen a significant shift over the last 10 years. And I love it, because I think people are realizing, like, it's really helpful for me to have an outside perspective in my life. Somebody that holds my story and knows who I am and knows kind of where I struggle. Cause we all struggle. Right? right. Um, and, and so then when I go, I have a therapist, I'll be right in front about it. When I go in and say, okay, here's what's going on. I don't have to start from scratch. She already knows me and knows my story. Yeah. So I think it's super
0: helpful. So what would you say to a person who? Says, hey, that's my spouse. They're my therapist. Or they have a best friend and they say, well, they're my therapist, so I don't need therapy.
2: I would say that's a lot of pressure to put on your spouse. Um, I think in an ideal world, we all um, would have spouses and partners and friends that play a part of that role, but they're also really invested in us. And so they're not going to be able to have a truly outside objective perspective and be able to go, well, yeah, but have you looked at it this way? Right. And you kind of need somebody who's for you, but also distance enough that they they can see what's really going on. Something that we
0: found at the beginning of this quarantine was that we were the only place between Jean and I that we were processing anything. So the only place that I was processing things was when she and I were going on a walk or a bike ride. And so basically everything was offloaded onto her and like you said, put pressure onto her. Mm-hmm. And it, it we struggled. And I, I imagine a lot of people are right now. And even in a normal world, when we're under normal circumstances, not everybody goes to see a counselor or a therapist or has someone speaking into their lives that way. And I imagine now it's, it's even more difficult.
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's difficult for everyone right now, to be honest. I don't know anyone who hasn't been affected by what is going on and what we're carrying and dealing with. I think that it affects people in different ways depending on their circumstances. So I think people who are single are experiencing, you know, the disconnection differently than people who are married, but then people who are married and have a great relationship are experiencing it differently than people who are maybe already in a relationship where there's some level of crisis or a challenge or difficulty or distrust. So I I think across the board, this is a lot for people to handle.
0: Right. We've heard a lot about the physical impact of this virus. But the thing is, not all of us necessarily have been physically impacted by this. I mean, several people have, but there is not a person in this world who has not been emotionally or mentally impacted by this. And I would argue to say that that mental impact is even greater than than the physical impact that this has had, and some of what we're hearing about, you know, from our government, from the CDC, and from our officials, and all that all that sorts of, of of stuff. Most of that has been how to protect ourselves physically from this. But I would love for you to talk today, just a little bit, on how we can protect ourselves emotionally and mentally from this. Because let's be honest, we going crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who just like
2: that's a pretty good summary, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with you. I think that the emotional side of things is a in mental health, emotional. I'll probably use them interchangeably is really oftentimes overlooked until people are having a meltdown or um, experiencing extreme thoughts like suicide, or you know, we're noticing people breaking down. And the time when we really need to intervene is far sooner than that before people get to a breaking point and and typically in crises we don't um you know the thing about stress that makes it challenging is there there are kind of three parts is when it's unpredictable unknown or doesn't have an end point so when you so think all about of those <laughs> where we are right now <laughs> it's basically the definition of a major stressor right so all of us are are affected by by stress you know we could we could have come into this in a really good place and and still be really affected by it. Um, I, I think one of the things that makes it really unique, um, maybe compared to some of the other stressors that we would typically face, is the collective nature of it. And you were, you were kind of alluding to that before when you were talking about processing it. We're all having an experience with this. And I think it's really different than when maybe one person in a couple is struggling with something or one person in a friend group has lost someone or has some grief and everybody can kind of rally around and support that person right now we're all experiencing that and so when you think about our grief buckets so to speak they're all full um and and maybe they're full with different things you know i think a lot about high school students that have have missed the end of their senior year right?
0: Um,
2: or college students where their experience is abruptly ended and they won't be able to say goodbye to people in person um, or, you know, people whose work environments changed and there, there's a lot of grief and, and that's not even including when you think about the physical loss that people are experiencing or the actual sickness. So it doesn't take much in our collective grief buckets for them to start overflowing. And right now, other people don't have empty buckets for our grief to flow into, right? right? So, you know, my grief affects your grief, and then your grief affects his grief, and we're just kind of passing it around. So, I think that's one of the things that's really unique about this experience is maybe different from other stressors that we face.
0: Yeah,
1: I feel like we also sort of live in a culture, um, even before this, where we almost pride ourselves on being busy and saying, Oh, I'm so stressed. I'm, I have so much to do. I'm so stressed. And it, it's become a word that doesn't sound very serious. But I mean, it is very serious. Can you talk a little bit about like, how do you how do you define stress? And why should people be taking um, the threat of stress more seriously right now?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. So i I think about A stress scale being green, yellow, red, right? So most Americans live in yellow, (laughs) at least, maybe bright orange. (laughs) It doesn't take much to push us into red. And what we've experienced, this collective stressor could push us way into red. So I I think that we're, um, we're, we're always, I mean, I love your point about being busy and stressed out. We're always living with a high amount of stress um the american medical association has defined stress to be a contributor to more than 75% of the illnesses that we face physical illnesses so i mean it's a real thing that we're dealing with all the time when when we think about what is a stressor a stressor is a demand that we perceive exceeds our ability to cope with it so Basically, it's some kind of demand and our perception is, oh, I don't have enough coping resources to be able to meet that demand. And so then that goes up, right? Yeah. Um, We can't always do anything about the stressor. Sometimes it's outside of our control or unpredictable. Um, So we can't always decrease that, but we can increase our coping resources to meet it. Um, One of the things that I think is really interesting about the definition of stress is that it hinges on this word perception. So what is what is our perception of the demand? It has a lot less to do with what the demand is actually asking of us and more our belief in how big is it, how unpredictable, how outside of our control. So
0: kind of like the idea that you are imagining a situation before it has happened and you're suffering that. twice. Yeah,
1: like-, like spinning a narrative about the situation.
2: Right. Right. What's interesting is that our brain doesn't actually know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. We respond on a biochemical level the same way as if it's real, there's a real tiger chasing us, or if we're just imagining a tiger chasing us. It's the reason that, well, two two examples, is the reason that if you have a dream, somebody chasing you, you wake up and your heart's racing, you're kind of sweaty and the covers are all erect because you've been trying to get away. Right your body, your brain's telling your body that it's actually happening and you need to like run to get the heck out of there.
0: Most of the time, it's <laughs> me like walking out in a public place, like without pants or something like that. That's, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> probably
2: a whole different topic.
0: <laughs> I wake up and I'm like, honey, you won't believe what just happened. <laughs> no, but that, that
1: That is really crazy though, that you, I mean, that being stuck at home and isolated is, is bad enough, but that. We actually need to be careful what we're saying to ourselves, what narratives we're spinning about it, because our body is going to actually react to that fear as if it's really happening. Yeah, um, Yeah. which
2: is so much more suffering than is necessary.
0: So sorry, continue.
2: Yeah. So exactly. I mean, our body springs into action, ready to fight off whatever it is. If you've ever watched a, um, you know, Planet Earth or documentary of you know one lion chasing a pack of whatevers, and there's a sprint and they're basically their body's designed to go into action all this adrenaline the chase the run all of this but then it's over right so then the next couple of sections of the video is usually the lion lying around and taking a nap or the you know other animals like bathing off in the water and so it's kind of their way of like decontaminating from all of that stress they're getting rid of the stress hormones What happens with us is we just stay on this constant hamster wheel Mm -hmm. of stress. And so it's like this lion's chasing us all the time and our body's pumping out all of these stress hormones that are really damaging to our body over time. And So I, I love the word narrative. I use it a lot with my clients because it really is about telling ourselves what's true, telling ourselves a story about how we're okay right now. Like, is something bad happening right now? Most of the time, the answer to that is no. Right.
0: Right. What would someone say? What would you say to someone who would say that that's naive to say, oh, we're going to be fine. Nothing's happening right now. But, oh, well, you're just not, you're being naive and you're not planning ahead.
2: Well, I, I think if you didn't plan, that would be problematic. If you just stuck your head in the sand and thought, oh, it could never happen, that would be problematic. I think there's a lot of wisdom in, being prepared in, you know, thinking about maybe what the future could hold, but then not living in the future. I right. think the question is really, where do you spend your time? Right? Mm-hmm. Are you spending your time in the present? Yeah. Where are you spending your time in the what ifs of the future?
0: You talked about um, the difference in stress, crisis, and trauma. Can you just talk about that for a second?
2: Yeah, for for sure. So stress is. We talked about the definition of. Uh, the demands exceeding our resources, the perception of our demands exceeding our resources. Crisis happens when stress continues over time, and then when crisis continues over time, it becomes trauma. So really, trauma is the impact of an extreme stressor or extreme crisis over time. We know that even smaller, kind of, quote, less traumatic things extended over time end up having a more negative impact a one-time really negative thing. And that, I think, is another part of what's going to make this a really difficult season for people is that it's extending Mm -hmm. for a long time. This is not just a, hey, we need to get through these few days or this week or two weeks. This is extending into quite a long time. Right.
1: That this is really something that um, people who would maybe just be distracting themselves, which distraction can be good sometimes. um, And you've talked about that, but um, you also studied under Brene. So there's that... (laughs) Under Ray Ray. There's that... uh, (laughs) Point of going okay this isn't going away anytime soon and I can't push this off forever so I actually need to think about future me and my future health and be able to sit in this I feel like for some people who don't have experience with that though what advice would you give them if if they're not used to sitting in their negative feelings um, if that just feels scary and dangerous to them like what would you suggest is the balance between healthy distraction and actually like sitting in your feelings and dealing with them
2: a great question. I, I think about the brain like a circuit breaker. When it re- recognizes that we are about to get overwhelmed, sometimes we'll just flip, it, flip a circuit, and we can kind of help facilitate that process by distracting ourselves. So that's, that's sort of the healthy part of it that you were talking about. When we feel overwhelmed, we're able to go to a movie or we're able to go to the gym or we you know, our work and so we're really focused on that and we kind of disconnect from whatever the stressor is for a little while. It gives us a little bit of time to recharge and repower and feel fueled up to face it again. When we're in the middle of something that we can't really get away from and most of our healthy kind of distractors are not available to us, it makes it really challenging. Right. So I think one of the things that we have to do is we have to figure out how to prioritize are not just emotional health, but also physical health. Um, one of the things that I suggest to clients is like my number one go-to is go outside and take a walk. It might seem super basic and, and unhelpful, but all the research shows that if you do 30 minutes of exercise most days of the week, five to seven, just getting your heart rate up. So walking, walking outside in the hills of Atlanta, you don't have to do a sprint marathon. Um, but if you can get outside and get your
1: <laughs> thank
2: God, <laughs> <laughs> the relief. Yeah, I feel you. Um, If you can get your heart rate up, it's equivalent to taking a low dose of an antidepressant. So it's it's a number wild. One thing we can do to like burn off the stress hormones, reset ourselves, sort of gain some perspective because we always feel better when we go outside for maybe in the pollen right <laughs> <laughs> when the
1: pollen passes <laughs> everyone thought that they had covid just by walking outside for a while so they realized it was just the pollen i
0: wore my snow boots today just thinking <laughs> thinking the yellow snow was out there um Winnie, what are some signs that we are not dealing with stress well
2: usually what we see is a gradual increase or builds over time so you might see some small things in the beginning Maybe people feel a little foggy. Maybe they don't feel like they're at the top of their game. Um, They might feel anxious, fearful, depressed. But then over time, that starts to escalate as they continue to deal with the stressor. And really, when you get to a point of trauma, you may find somebody that doesn't seem like themselves. Their coping resources don't work anymore. They've kind of lost all sense of time or meaning for things. They may kind of seem like the zombie. So it's a gradual progression, but it, it definitely gets worse over time if you're not paying attention to it. So
0: th- that person's sitting in your office and they're saying, hey, this is where I am. I feel like my, my coping mechanisms have run out. I feel like, you know, what you just described. What, what advice do you give that person?
2: Well, I, I think we start by doing that assessment of, okay, what's, what's the situation? What's going on? Are there any stressors we can decrease? And, you know, like I said earlier, we can't always do that. But if there are, let's do it. You know, what can we minimize? And then what coping resources can we increase? One of the things that I find with people who are in high stress is that they often don't problem solve well. And so, again, that sort of outside perspective, I can say, hey, you know, it seems like you have these resources. Or maybe if you did this in a different order, or let's talk about your day. You know, what feels the hardest? Let's do that first. I can help kind of block and tackle, um, for them in a way that when you're in the middle of it, you just feel overwhelmed and it's hard to do. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: the other thing is with the positive, the coping resources, I always go back to the basics. Like I I always start with, are you sleeping? Because sleep deprivation is a form of torture, so if somebody's not sleeping, that's a problem, right? Um, so I want to do what I can to kind of help with some sleep hygiene. Um you know, are they, what are they eating? You know, a lot of us are candy. Oh, you know, exactly. I was going to say self soothing, but yes. <laughs> the Those sugar, you. the alcohol, the baked goods the, I was laughing at how many posts I've seen on social media with people baking things. I'm oh like, yeah.
1: Suddenly we're I all mean, on the great British bake show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm like that banana bread looks really good guys.
0: <laughs> um, that's awesome. Wendy, what about, um, Okay, I'm going to get just kind of personal here for a second. I am the kind of person, and I imagine there are some other listeners out there who identify with this, who just want to help. Like maybe there's a person in your life, it's a friend, it's a spouse, it's a partner, whoever it is, and you just want to help. Um, how? How? But I always feel like when I do that, I end up hurting. I, I feel like I, I don't, you know. Always? I, not always, not always. But I feel like I want to help decrease the stress in whoever I'm trying to help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How do you do that? Well, how do you help people who are stressed?
2: Again, a great question. I, I think the first thing I would say in this situation we're in is you have to take care of yourself first, because if you're not checking in on yourself, you're not taking care of yourself and making sure you have something to give. You're going to get super easily depleted and not be able to go the distance with the people that you really do want to help and care for well. So a lot of times people think, oh, that's selfish. I'm not going to take care of myself first. I I would argue that it's the most selfless thing you can do because then you can show up well for other people. If you think about on an airplane, you know, the message they always say about make sure you put on your oxygen mask first and then you can help the people around you. It's that same kind of principle. So I would start by checking in and just seeing what do I have to give? And then I would think about the people who you you care about and, you know, you want to check in with and think about how what you have to give matches up with maybe what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of strategically picking who you check in with or who you offer things to based on kind of what you have to give.
0: That's great. That's great. Do you have
1: anything? Um, I know you had mentioned something. Um, in a previous interview where you talked about how you were really bothered by the social distancing uh, language that was put out by the media. Why was that choice of words potentially harmful?
2: So I the, the idea that we would socially disconnect, I think is incredibly damaging. Relational connection is one of the things that helps insulate us from the negative impacts of trauma. And this idea that was pushed out right away that basically we need to disconnect from all the people around us, I think is incredibly damaging. I know it's not what they meant. Right. What they really meant was physical disconnection so that we weren't contaminating each other. Um, and I get—I understand where they got to with the term, but I don't think it's helpful. I think we need to be reminding ourselves and telling ourselves that there are lots of ways to socially connect. We might have to be creative <laughs> And kind of again, the cans solving. with the string. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> we, you know, st- stand in the yard and yell at your neighbor across yeah. the yard. That- <laughs> We've seen a lot of we just, that. We
0: just send signals out of our window <laughs> to our apartment mates across the way just with a flashlight.
2: I like it. That's impressive.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We had um, some of our listeners send in questions for you. Would you mind if we asked you a few of them? Okay, great. So um, we just picked three. Uh, So first I wanted to ask, what advice do you have for someone who is living alone right now?
2: That's great. I think that this is a really challenging situation. It can be because the days are long and the weeks are longer. Um, I think that it's a couple things. I would say one Think about finding a quarantine buddy. It doesn't have to be somebody who moves into your house with you, but maybe you're both quarantining in the same way. You're avoiding going out. You're not touching people. And so maybe, you know, once a day you could go over to their house or they could come over to yours because it's kind of your person. So right. I don't think that you have to isolate by yourself as long as you're both kind of respecting the boundaries and being thoughtful about who you're. Who you're around?
1: Right. So by this point, we've we've all been. uh, Most of us have been self quarantined for three weeks. So if we have never shown symptoms by now, and neither has the other person, then maybe considering actually like having some face to face time with. Okay, I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna flip that on its head, and then ask the other side of that. What do you say to somebody who is living with other people?
2: So this one I think is important too. I've suggested to people that they have a quiet corner or a quiet room or a quiet balcony. However, you're... this is my quiet
0: corner. When I'm sitting in my quiet corner,
2: exactly. When I sit inside this cardboard box, you do not, <laughs> yes. you do not come exactly. knocking. But for real, I I think it's harder to ask for time and space because you don't want to upset somebody or. other person's like maybe a little needy and wants to talk to you but i think when there's like a defined space and you're like i'm sitting in the quiet corner people just know that you need some time i think it's important to give yourself permission to take some time
0: i love that Gene. if you step out of line i'm going to put you in the quiet corner
2: (laughs) (laughs) no it's voluntary totally voluntary no no
0: it's i own it Um, anything else any other thoughts for uh people who are living with with others
2: ask each other what people need so so i think especially in relationships, we tend to, in the dating stage or the new friendship stage, we ask a lot of questions and get to know the person. And then that sort of dwindles and we don't really ask and we just yeah. kind of go on the autopilot, right? Assume that like we know what they need. I think this is a great time to kind of rediscover some of those questions that might have come up early in a relationship and say, Hey, you know, I just want to check in. How are you doing with this? I know you more of an introvert. Right. Like, I asked my husband that the other night because he's more introverted than I am. I'm not super extroverted, but I'm more than he is. And uh, I said, you know, I was a little worried about you going into this because I know you need your, your own downtime and you know, how has that felt? What has it been like? And so we had a really great conversation about what he needed and he was doing better than he thought he would be. And so it was really, it was great, but I think it's a great time to kind of have some of those conversations. Yeah, absolutely.
0: We, I had a, a person just write in it. This was a really interesting response and they had just said, We posted your episode and said we were going to talk to you and they just said, I need this. They just said, I need this. That's all it said. I'm struggling Uh, big right now. What, um, what, as kind of like a broad statement to people who are struggling right now, whether it's with anxiety or stress or depression or isolation, what do you say to them? um, If you could send a message to those people.
2: Yeah, I, I, the thing I have found myself saying over and over again is this is hard. This, this is hard. The reason it feels hard is because this is hard. It's not because you're weak. It's not because you can't handle things. It's not because you have a history of mental health issues. It's because this is hard. And I think we have to be really gentle with ourselves. Yes, there's an opportunity to reorganize your house, write a book or learn Mandarin. Y'all could all choose to do that if you want to, but also this is hard. And so if you just get through the day, and are able to make it to the next one that's a success too put pants Uh, on yeah right or don't you know whatever shower occasionally it's helpful thank Um,
1: you thank you for saying that though i think that's so helpful i i feel like there's a lot of um shame that people are feeling they're like Mm -hmm. why can't i deal with this better like i don't even know anyone who's sick and i think just not realizing how impacted our emotions are and that we weren't designed to live like this. Uh, Thank you for just saying that, like this is hard and that's why it feels hard. So like just give yourself some credit.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned a little bit, um, Wendy, uh, in our conversation we had a few days ago about letting yourself feel what you're feeling, like it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Can you talk about that just a little bit?
2: Absolutely. I I think being really gentle with ourselves and recognizing that this is not a one-size-fits-all approach. I'm going to feel things that are different than what you guys feel And it's okay to feel what you're feeling. A lot of times when, especially when feelings are big or they're hard, people spend a lot of energy trying to push them away um, and not feel them. And so then all your energy is depleted because you're trying to avoid the feeling that you don't want to feel. Right. Um, I I think one of the reasons we do that is because we're sometimes afraid we're going to get swallowed up by the feelings. But this is a situation where I think especially Feeling what we feel, giving ourselves permission to be in it for a little while, not to get stuck in it, but to name it, acknowledge how we feel so that we can start to move through it is really important. I think moving through the feelings is the way to healing rather than trying to push them away.
0: That's amazing. I I, I love that. And I'm going to put you on the spot here just for a second though. But um, do you have any practical tools to help those who are not good at identifying their feelings?
2: Yeah, two things. First of all, you want to reach out to your therapist <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of therapists, if you don't have one, a lot of therapists right now are doing distance work. Um, telemental health is a fancy way of saying we do phone calls and video sessions. Right. And most of our clients are reporting that there is no difference for them after they get used to it. That's awesome. kind of their own video. So I would say absolutely schedule an appointment with somebody. The other thing is we developed an ebook just for this situation. It's free on our website um, on self-care. And one of the things that I love in it is a list of emotions. And so you can go in there and kind of look at, you know, what are, I'm having a hard time putting a name on this thing I'm feeling. What are these things kind of circle that kind of helps me name what I'm feeling a lot of times when we can name something, it takes the power away from it. Right. Right. So, so it's kind of that idea of like, I always say to my clients, monsters live in the dark. And, you know, it's like you knew when you were little that there was a monster under your bed or in the closet or whatever, but you've got up the nerve to turn on the light switch and all of a sudden they disappeared. Right. Naming it kind of has that same feel. So when you can say, I just feel sad I or I'm just angry, I'm real pissed at the situation. It sort of just takes some of that power away from it. And yeah. you're able to kind of have the emotion, but not be consumed by it.
0: That mm-hmm. is amazing. The, I know that for me that there's times that I've just gotten to the end of the day and I'm angry or frustrated or I am um, i have responded sh- shortly, um, you know, to my wife or something. And I just don't know what it is. And then I once I spend some time figuring out, recognizing what I was feeling, I was able to say, oh, I wasn't even mad at you. I was just I was frustrated because this thing happened at work and it made me feel this way.
1: Mm-hmm. And I made yeah. it mean this about me and then it spirals into something else.
2: Right. That's, right. That's amazing. And, and that's also because you're human, right? Like we have all these emotions and some emotions can lead to other emotions. I think especially if people have a history of mental health issues, anxiety, fear, depression, hopelessness, and we experience something like we're going through now, it can trigger some of those past emotions. So it takes, it starts a swirling kind of spiral around us. And it, it takes some time to kind of stop and push pause and check in to really figure out, okay, what's going on here? How much of that is about today? And how much of that is about maybe the past? And it's okay, but it helps to kind of divide the pie up and understand That's
1: which awesome. pieces are from where. For and some of our listeners who are just because they might have lost their jobs during this time and can't really afford to do counseling. Do you think that journaling, um, just getting the thoughts out of their head and onto paper just to see it would would offer some relief as well?
2: Yeah, it absolutely helps. There's some in the ebook I was talking about, there's some journaling pages that are designed where you can kind of check boxes off or you could journal however you want to. Um, drawing a picture helps. Journaling helps. There, there, have been all kinds of studies about journaling that it does all kinds of things, including increase your immune system. So, Whoa. I mean, it's like, yeah, pretty. It's a pretty That's powerful crazy. exercise. And I, I, do think part of it is just that kind of helps release what you're feeling and give it a place to land, so yeah. that you're not carrying. It That's so helpful.
0: So, kind of moving this down toward application. What are some practical things? Um, that you recommend all of us start doing, and then on the other side of that, what are some things you recommend we stop doing?
2: So the things that we we ought to start doing, and we talked a little bit about earlier. I think exercise is super important. Go outside for thirty minutes a day, um, at least. Um, some of those basic hygiene things, you know, eating a little healthier, uh, trying to avoid the sugar and the alcohol. Some uh, sleeping well, drinking some water. I would say connecting with people that bring life to you, that help you stay grounded. Um, we all know there are people in our lives who don't always have that effect on us. <laughs> so you wanna choose selectively there, but make sure you're connecting with people that um, bring do bring life to you. Things that I think you wanna stop doing, I would say you know, stop with the self-criticism, stop with comparing yourself to other people, um, you know, maybe turn the media down a little bit, including some social media, so sometimes to check in on that, but maybe it's not an all day right. kind of thing. Um, I, I think those those sort of things are really helpful when you can just take a break from everything and, and come up for air. That's,
1: That's awesome. amazing. You so you have a lot of helpful tools. That that um that ebook you mentioned, and then we also got to see a bunch of your um short videos on stress. Uh, yeah. Those were super helpful in helping people identify stress. And um, so we're going to add links to all of that below in the show notes um, for all of you guys to look at.
0: Yeah. Um, awesome. So you can find that real easily. Uh, Wendy, do you have just any anything that you wanted to say that you haven't gotten a chance to say yet? Any last minute, minute thoughts?
2: I would just add to the resources. If you guys want to follow us on social media, it's Grow Counseling on um, Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. And we've just been trying to push out some tidbits each day, sort of tips on how to be okay. One of the things that we're starting uh, through our uh, nonprofit Grow Restored are some groups called Story Groups, and they are free to people and just a way to connect people to be able to help each other. Hold their stories in the event that your partner's tired of hearing about your story or maybe you're alone and you want somebody else to be able to connect
0: with. We will absolutely push those groups on our pages uh, as well. I just think that is incredible because there's no denying that we as human beings are communal in nature. We thrive with community and with relationship and we just don't do well in isolation. Um, and, And I think right now, too, there is a tendency to take out our devices, whether it's our phones or computers or whatever, and just scroll and scroll and scroll. Mm-hmm. Which I would call that consumption. There's a difference in consumption and connection. I think consumption right. is you're sitting there, and that's one way. You're just watching a pre-recorded video. You're looking at a meme, but it's not two-way. You're not participating back in it. And I think we thrive with connection. And if we can't get it, you know, interpersonally, I think digitally and virtually is the best thing that we can do right now. We should be doing it. Um, I
2: love- I love that. I always say we're hardwired for connection and we're hardwired for story. And so this is kind of an intersection of the two of those things.
0: Um, Wendy, where can people find more of you personally? You mentioned your Instagram, but where else can they find more about you?
2: I thought you were about to ask for my home address. (laughs) (laughs) We're sending you you baked (laughs)
1: goods. You asked for it.
2: (laughs) Um, We are at growcounseling.com is probably the easiest way to find us. We have a link on our main page right now that takes us to the resources you guys were talking about. Amazing. Um, Amazing. We also have a blog that has a ton of really helpful information. Um, our team takes turns writing blogs. And so there's probably a blog on almost any topic that somebody wants to read something on.
1: That's incredible. Wendy, you're at the bomb.com and... <laughs> Seriously, i oh, you. Everything you're doing is just so generous. Uh, like the resources you're providing. I mean, it's just incredible. I, you and your whole team are are doing amazing work.
0: I feel like I should be billed for this conversation. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> She's like,
2: oh, you'll get
0: one. <laughs> She's like, oh no, this is this is by the hour. Free to
2: you, my friends. All free to you. Oh yes, oh, no, gosh. but Wendy, thank truly, you. this
0: is. I mean, this is so helpful for us. Um, and we hope that this um, will be helpful to those of you listening as well. Um, so like Wendy said, if you would like to connect with her, we'll put links to all of those things in the show notes below. Use some of those tools. We've been watching some of the stress videos. They're really short and digestible, mm-hmm. really easy um, content for you to share with other people that are dealing through with this. And like we said before, like young adulting is hard. Yeah. And right now, just just surviving is hard. Just being yeah. a human is hard. Um, so love on somebody, love on yourself. Um, And Wendy, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate you joining us here um, for the Generation Y Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. If you guys uh, remember to follow us on our Instagram as well, where we'll be posting a lot of these resources, that is at Gen Y Podcast on Instagram and also online at genypodcast.com. Give us a like, share this with somebody who you think uh, it could be helpful for, and leave us a review as well. That's super helpful for us. And as always, we will see you next week as we continue our quarantine series on Wednesday for the Generation Y Podcast. Oh, oh,